You've got a friend in us. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. We're back with part two of our best Pixar movies bracket, and also returning is Callie. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, <coughs> sorry. <laughs> and she's dying. <laughs> My coffee went down the wrong tube. We decided no more shenanigans in the final four. No more me and Kyle trying to debate to one-up each other. Uh, We're just going to bring in a tiebreaker for all of the matchups. And it will make things a lot cleaner, a lot simpler. And we also just had a lot of fun with Callie last episode. So it's great to have her back. Very excited to be here again. All right. So as well as having Callie back, we are bringing back our spoonful of sugar. Chris, what are you drinking today? So uh, this is my greatest spoonful of sugar to date. This is from the Trader Sam's menu at the Disneyland Hotel. This is called a Piranha Pool. It is strawberry vodka, cream of coconut, and blue curacao blended. Then you pour some strawberry puree into a glass and then Mm. pour the blended concoction into the glass and the puree kind of like spreads out. And it looks like a piranha attack in a pool of water. <laughs> so it was like beautiful when I poured it, and now all the colors have run together, and it's like this like gray green. It looks like I'm drinking like a breakfast power smoothie. That is uh, why they put tiki drinks into tiki mugs so that you can't see how brown and gross the drinks actually look. But like the whole point of the drink is that you see the blood splatter and you can't really see that from looking at it from the top. So I don't know. Very tasty presentation. Maybe I screwed it up per usual. Eh, eh, that's all right. Um, I'm also going Tiki and I am drinking a Kungaloosh from the Adventures Club over at Walt Disney World. This is uh, about uh, an ounce and a quarter vodka, an ounce and a quarter of Malibu rum, three quarters ounce of Midori, two tablespoons of pineapple juice, and a, and a splash of cranberry juice. You mix that up real good, and you get another brown concoction that I put into a tiki mug. And uh, it's a sneaky one. Midori in general is sneaky because it has a fairly high alcohol content, but it's really sweet and it tastes like a mixer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this thing is, this thing is strong. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll be looking forward to um, your points becoming more and more questionable as the episode <laughs> goes on. All right, Callie, what is your spoonful of sugar? This is a concoction I made. It's called cold coffee. It's two shots of espresso with ice and a coconut beverage from the non-dairy section at Trader Joe's. Delicious. Delicious. The voice of reason. Yep. <laughs> All right, cool. Chris, after our plea to the to the universe to get some emails, it looks like we got a couple. 
We got two emails. I'm so excited. The reason that I want emails is because it's a space where people can send us like long form thoughts on the podcast and on the things that we talk about more than just, you know, a few hundred characters. Uh, so the first email we got was from my mom. Shout out to my mom who had <laughs> a few, out. who had a few bracket ideas for us. And one of them was best Disney song. Well, which, yeah, we'll get there. You know, that one's a no brainer. And the reason we haven't done it yet is because it's going to be a lot to take on because there are so many songs that are worthy to be on this bracket. And we don't really know how to organize such a huge conversation. So if anyone has any tips on how we should handle that, go ahead and let us know. Or if anyone has any suggestions on shortening the podcast or any ideas at all on like the length of the podcast, send us an email, send us a tweet. Would love to hear from you. Did did your mom only come with uh, best songs right here or did she have any other suggestions? She had best lesson. Okay, like the best lesson that comes out of a Disney movie? Yeah, which That's interesting. is good. That might be like a season three thing. <laughs> when we have sponsors and such that can pay for a three-part show. Yeah, um, and she had something along the lines of best symbol or something like that. Okay. These are like really high-level intelligent conversations. I'm yes. not sure we're there yet, Kyle. Dumb it down, Mom. Dumb it down. Look who you're dealing with here. And another email that we got was from a friend of mine, Tess, who I went to high school with. Um, This email is not super long, and she has some pretty good thoughts. I I think I'm just going to read it out loud. Um, She says, hey, guys, Tess here. I went to high school with Kyle. Go Baylors. Hell yeah, go Baylors. I am halfway through your most recent episode, Best Disney Villain Part 2, and I'm replying in response to your live action discussion. When it comes to Disney live-action films, I haven't loved them all. I mean, neither have we. The first one I truly enjoyed was Beauty and the Beast, which was a big feat because I love Beauty and the Beast. That being said, with every live-action movie they have done, the one thing that they've done extremely well and consistently is how beautiful the movies are. With movies like Peach Dragon and Jungle Book, the only memorable parts for me were the beautiful designs, so I will give them that. Aladdin, and Dumbo for that matter, exceeded my expectations. I will agree with Chris that Jafar's character was very underwhelming and disappointing. Uh, he wasn't scary, just annoying. My favorite part of the film, though, was Jasmine. In my opinion, Jasmine has a very small role in Aladdin, and even though her character is strong and stands out, uh, the live-action movie gave her her own song, and it's amazing. They really highlight her character and her place in, and rise in royalty while balancing her love story with Aladdin. These, these made f- the movie for me. Because I love seeing gender roles and age-old stories being shaken up. And Will Smith is Will Smith. Enough said. Side note, do you, did you guys watch the Crosswalk the Musical version? So cute. Sorry for the long post. Love listening to podcasts. You guys are everything you need in a Disney nerds podcast. Sincerely, Tess. Crosswalk the Musical? Yeah, it was a James Corden thing he did with oh. the cast. So they did, oh, the, they were crossing the street with, yeah, doing the pieces or the songs. Yeah, with songs. Josh Gad. Oh, well, yeah. it was an Aladdin one. So there was like Will Smith oh. was there and James really wanted to be the genie and he had to be a poo instead. It was good. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> I have not seen that one. I saw the Beauty and the Beast one and that one was okay. pretty hilarious. Yeah, so it's like the same, same concept. Good to know. Really I'm going to have to look that one up. Real quickly in response to Tess. 
I did not bring up Jasmine when we were talking about the review last episode, and I agree. That's a really awesome addition to the movie that did not exist in the original cartoon version. I can't say that I care for the song just as a song, but I definitely do like the idea of giving Jasmine some agency in the movie. makes her character a lot more well-rounded. They changed up her costume a little bit to make it a little bit less objectifying so that's also really awesome um but yeah all in all very okay movie (laughs) very a-okay well if you guys want to send in your emails please do at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com and we will be sure to respond and read them on the show okay so now we are going to hop right on into the final four matchups to see if we can find the best Pixar movie. The first matchup here is Toy Story versus Finding Nemo. Now, Toy Story was the first of Pixar's uh, movies. It was released in 1994, I believe. Finding Nemo released another 10 year later, 10 years later, in like 2004, I believe. I think that I'm going to just go right off the bat, and my vote's gonna go towards Nemo. I think that. While Toy Story is a, it's a classic and it's uh, an awesome, very creative, out of the box kind of idea and story. I think Finding Nemo is just the more complete package. Um, it really gets you invested in the very beginning with the um, Barracuda attack and with when Nemo uh, egg is cracked and you're like, oh no, what's gonna happen? You're really emotional. They really bring you in. And then they show you how beautiful of a movie this is through the um, the title sequence, and then just the story itself, like the the toggling of the two stories. The characters are great, and all the challenges that Dory and Marlin go through come along with learning experiences and the, and takeaways. And and while Toy Story is a more linear story, um, Finding Nemo toggles the two stories very well with Nemo and in, in the. Uh, aquarium at the dentist's office but then even at the end there's like a slight twist that you don't really see coming um especially when everyone's reunited uh well at least marlon and nemo are reunited and then they have to go save dory and that was just an extra extra little something at the very end that i really enjoyed and and they put everything they learned together to save dory and they all lived happily ever after and while toy story is a classic i don't know i think that nemo has more firepower here and so i'm gonna go with nemo I think I'm going to agree with you. I personally think Toy Story kind of falls off a bit. Um, I think the setup of Toy Story is really great. Um, They set up a great conflict internally and externally with Woody and Buzz. Woody trying to figure out how to deal with this new toy threatening his position amongst the the other toys. Um, And... You know, clearly he's got some control issues, and it is definitely enjoyable watching both Woody and Buzz kind of grow throughout Toy Story. But I do think that it gets it slumps a little bit and gets a little bit boring um, once once they leave the house. But it all comes back together, and I do find the sequence where they're riding the RC car and find their way back into the moving truck to be very exciting i love the mm-hmm. way the movie ends but yeah i don't know i did i don't love the sid the sid stuff yeah um 
So I agree with you that I think Finding Nemo is very complete, very great storytelling. Another main character who has control issues, um, but kind of in a different way. And we can talk about that next round because I'm definitely going to also advance Finding Nemo to the finals. Callie, had this come to a tie, what would you have gone with? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I think if it had tied, I probably would have gone with you guys and said Finding Nemo. Um, I think Finding Nemo kind of epitomizes everything that Pixar has uh, come to be with kind of a very emotional sense of loss early on in the movie. Like you were saying, Kyle gets you invested quick and then... um, just what they were able to do with all of the animation is incredible, and I think they really hit their stride with Finding Nemo and have only gone up from there. So Finding Nemo probably would have moved on if it had been a tie. Okay, let's go ahead and hop to the other side of the bracket. We've got Up versus The Incredibles. Now, if you asked me 10 years ago my list of favorite Pixar movies, The Incredibles probably would have been towards the bottom um, and I did not really go into this bracket expecting to argue in favor of The Incredibles. Uh, but here we are in the final four. Um, and it's going up against up. Now, last episode, I talked about how I didn't love up and then kind of revisited up and was able to appreciate some of the themes that it presents, some of the morals, and... Um, I've kind of come back around to my original stance on the movie, and Uh I don't think I love Up. Uh (laughs) And here's why. I took took so much heat on my anti-Inside Out stuff. Like, so much heat. As I said in the last episode, a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was all very on the nose. And I think Up is still too on the nose for me. Kyle, you talked about those themes and lessons in Finding Nemo, and all of the movies on this bracket have themes and lessons that you can learn from them. Um, In my opinion, all equally complex and deep. When we're talking about Pixar movies and Disney movies, I like them hidden underneath the surface, you know, where if you just watch it, as a funny fish movie or a funny talking cars movie. It is what it is. But if you want to get really in depth and have these kinds of discussions, you can find those really important, deep, complex lessons hidden inside the movies. Up brings those to the surface. And I don't think I like that. Um, I think Up was kind of the beginning of, in my opinion, a downturn in the quality of the writing in Pixar movies. It was like they heard the response from Up where people were like, oh my God, it's so sad. It made me cry. I was so emotional. And they were like, oh my God, people like sad. They like sappy. They like emotional. And then they just like heightened it up. Like every single movie, just like, let's pump up the tears. Let's pump up the waterworks. Like, it's just, I don't know. It feels like they're building the movies backwards at this point. Incredibles, you have a family. And the movie is primarily about them negotiating 
their relationships on top of the fact that they're all superheroes and trying to figure out where they fit in the world. If you want to know what the movie The Incredibles is about, all you have to do is watch the family dinner scene. Go on YouTube and type family dinner scene The Incredibles. That's that's what the movie's about, right? It doesn't really matter what bad guy they're fighting. I, I hardly even remembered what the rest of the movie was about. When I thought of The Incredibles, it was like these this family, you know? And them kind of figuring each other out. But Up, I don't know. It's all about the adventure. And it's mostly pretty forgettable to me. For that reason, going with The Incredibles. I I feel like this is going to be a... This might turn into a super quick episode. Because I was also going to go with The Incredibles. <laughs> um, only because what I said in the last episode was that Up from all that I really remember is like the first 20 minutes of the movie. And like I and I've revisited it recently. And it's just it that story just doesn't capture me quite as well as The Incredibles does. And The Incredibles like you like you brought up um it's about like family and how they fit in the world, but it's also relatable in the sense that uh, Mr. Incredible is also kind of like stuck in his normal life and he has this normal job that he doesn't like and and he's seeking more and seeking a past life. And I think that um, while audiences watching can relate to the family as a whole, I think that every, there's a, a point of life featured in the movie that each individual can relate to. So parents can really relate to um, the father-mother dynamics or the just the parenting dynamics in general. Um, they can relate to being uh, stuck in a job that they don't want to be in. They can relate to being a stay-at-home mom or dad. They can relate, and kids can relate to <laughs> maybe not being like this athletic freak that dashes and not being able to compete, but maybe not fitting in or acting out because they they are bored and have too much potential and can't can't funnel that somewhere um and obviously like people uh tweens and teens can relate to like this having a crush thing but also being very insecure like violet and um i don't think babies know to relate to jack jack but it's all this this family is something for everyone uh the story is great um i do remember pretty much the whole the whole story of the incredibles and it's one that it's a it's another one that you think ends at the end, but then it continues going, and that's when they go into the they get Mister Incredible back, and they think they're gonna stop the rocket launch, and then nope, they don't, and they have to go back into the city and fight this massive um, machine. But it's great, and it, it's a great superhero movie. It's a great action movie. It teaches everybody a lot of lessons, um, and I yeah, I think we're moving Incredibles on, much to the dismay of Callie. I'm so upset right now. (laughs) I'm so sad. I think um, as you were talking about how you can't really connect to the story of Up, it kind of made me think um, about my relationship with my grandparents, especially. Um, So my grandpa and grandma lived in South America for 40 years. And my grandpa resembled Carl like a crazy amount. So I think I connected with Up more than any other Pixar movie because of that. And thinking back on it, that's probably why I have such a connection to Up and why I enjoy it so much. Um, So 
I understand what you're saying about the story being too on the nose and it should have just been a short with the first 10 minutes. But um, yeah, I just, I love that movie so much. So it'll <laughs> always move on in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up in that all of these movies that we talk about on this podcast, um, you know, we approach them with different experiences and different tools um, that make us read these movies in different ways. So I think when we talk about any one of us liking a movie or a TV show or a character more than the other, it doesn't necessarily sometimes discount the quality of the other thing. It's just, we've brought different things to the table. So, you know, it, it equips us differently to approach these things. So, yeah. So thank you for that story. Yep, exactly. All right. We have reached the final matchup. It is Finding Nemo versus The Incredibles. This is crazy. This is crazy. So these are two of Pixar's earlier films, and it's surprising that they both outlasted their competitions. It's not surprising to me. It is not surprising to me. Is it because you think that the story is is going downhill? You think that Pixar is still working backwards on their story creating? Yeah, I think they've kind of lost focus on what's made the studio great at the beginning. I think they were able to take inspiration from very small things at first, like, oh, toys, like, let's let's animate some toys, let's build some characters that are toys, and then we'll develop a story after that. Okay, let's develop this fuzzy monster guy. Okay, like, what is he like? Like, okay, let's make a friend for him. Okay, what what are they like? What can they do? What are their relationships like? Whatever. Uh, let's make some fish. Let's make some cars, right? And so, like I said, now it seems like it's starting with, okay, let's develop this, like, emotional journey, and then let's kind of build some characters around it. I don't work at Pixar. I don't know that that's how it goes, but it feels like that's how it's going. Um, and I do know at the beginning of Pixar's life, a lot of the way that they started building movies was from the technology and the improvements in the technology. And so, okay, now we have this tool where we can animate fur realistically. Okay, let's create something furry that we can... Um, build a movie around and so it starts with the character in which in my opinion is the best place to start a movie because that's ultimately what we can relate to because we are people and we feel emotions and we can connect to characters a lot easier than we can connect to like stories or ideas or arguments a lot of the time so random uh, pre-finals rant but yeah i mean you're completely right and i think that's what is gonna make this maybe difficult but maybe not because I'm just hopping right on in and I'm going to say that of these two movies and of this bracket, Finding Nemo deserves to take the crown of Best Pixar Movie. The story about letting go and trusting those around you and um, not having to take control of everything I think is extremely important. Um, I think that being the the kind of lesson of patience is also very important. Marlon had to learn a lot of patience when um, dealing with Dory, and like, and she was just living her best, happy, forgettable life, and 
he was having issues with that. And I think it's important. It's an important lesson to be patient with everybody because everyone's different. Nemo learning to be brave while in the fish tank, I think is also super important because obviously Marlin wasn't teaching him to be brave. He was really sheltering him and, and Nemo found that with the support of friends and with support of others and, and when you have goals that you want to achieve, you've got to be brave to, to accomplish those and to reach those goals. Every auxiliary character in that movie, I think is super strong. I think, uh, every once in a while, Pixar throws in a character that might be a little cringy and, and they're obviously just there as like a gag or just for laughs. But like you think about the the school kid characters, like they're fantastic. And you think about um, everyone in the fish tank and the different personalities that Nemo encounters in the fish tank, which are all different personalities that he wouldn't encounter in the coral reef because Marlon wouldn't allow him. Um, it's one of those kind of like get outside of your neighborhood and meet others sort of messaging the even to the even as like the turtles are fantastic the entire turtle sequence is memorable and super cute and and just very very fun um even the the sardines the sardines uh that do the charades with dory like while it was extremely random like it was very well done i thought and it wasn't just here we're gonna throw in this guy because we forgot to include his voice in this pixar movie and his voice is supposed to be in every pixar movie so yeah i and i think just the takeaway of i mean dory's song just keep swimming like just keep going for your goals keep on keep on keeping on is is a powerful message and and the takeaways from Finding Nemo to me are more important and more powerful than that of The Incredibles, and I think it, uh, Finding Nemo is just the better movie. So I'm gonna put my stamp of approval on Finding Nemo. I think that what you said about there being a bunch of interesting characters is another thing that Pixar has kind of strayed away from in recent movies. Every single character in Finding Nemo, and in The Incredibles for that matter, very unique, very quirky. Even if it's one or two little things, it makes them so fascinating and so fun to watch. You know, like Nemo's friends at school. Okay, one of them's a kid who clearly is full of it. We all went to school with that kid. You know, <laughs> one, of his, one of his friends is like a scaredy cat. We all, we all went to school with that kid, you know. Yeah. The 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 fish that he meets in the fish tank, one of them's like a weird germaphobe, one of them's like <laughs> an incredibly overly warm uh <laughs> yeah, w- one of them's kind of a grizzled old guy that's you know, one of them has multiple personalities. Of <laughs> one of, right. So <laughs> literally every oh, and don't get me started on Crush and Squirt. Like yeah. the best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Righteous, righteous. <laughs> there's the chris voice for the day for the episode i love crush so much (laughs) but you can go over to the incredibles and say the exact same thing like um wallace sean is the voice of bob parr's boss at the like health insurance company he works for or whatever um frozone hilarious where's my super suit kyle has to do it that was an injustice to that character (laughs) Yeah. Where's okay. my super suit? That, there was Kyle's voice for the day. 
you, you can Edna even Mode? look at a character. Yeah, no, Edna Mode. Edna. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Edna Mode. <laughs> Every single character in both of these movies extremely memorable. I mean, even a character who's kind of more of a main character, but Jack-Jack in The Incredibles, I love Jack-Jack. Doesn't speak a line of English in the movie, but <laughs> you can describe him perfectly. He's got a uh, kind of a weird sense of humor, but mm-hmm. he has he has a sense of humor. He's a happy baby. Mm-hmm. He's pretty perceptive uh, and he's impressionable. You know, yeah. like Pixar at its finest is able to create characters that are unique and well-rounded without even having to make them speak words. And now you can come to their most recent movie, Toy Story 4, and you got Key and Peele as these like fluffy bunny, fluffy ducky or whatever. And mm-hmm. they're just, they're Key and Peele. I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about those two, you know? Right, right. Giggles McDimples. I don't really Still know good. what to say Still about Giggles character. McDimples. Still such a good, such a good character. <laughs> I, I don't know, you know. So, you know, I think when I say things like the quality of the studio is decreasing, I think it's I think it's well founded. You know, I think there's evidence in in these movies. Um, so I'm kind of net zero on like the quality of the characters argument for Incredibles versus um, Finding Nemo. I think in a way, both of these movies deal with the control issue. I think my favorite part in all of Finding Nemo is when they get swallowed by the whale. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a super common TV and film trope. Where right. Your main characters go into the belly of the beast. So Pinocchio goes into the belly of the beast inside of Monstro. In Star Wars, they go inside of the Death Star to save the day. Um, in Incredibles, they go on um, Syndrome's Island. Like it's in it, it's in all good movies, but I like that it's a literal beast in Finding Nemo, and it's this place where the characters are kind of revealed a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Where Marlin is really hopeless, seems like all is lost, and then he, he accidentally slips up in a I take, I Ross take the Rachel moment um, right. when he says, you think you can do these things, but you can't, Nemo. <laughs> yeah, and he, right. he was like, he's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, and like that kind of is a moment that, that really reveals his flaws to us, the audience, if we haven't already picked up on it, and it reveals it to Marlon himself. And then he's like, He's like, how do you know so- nothing bad's going to happen? How do you know? And Dory's just like, I don't. Yeah. And like, like, that's it. Like, that, that's just such an amazing moment and an example of how you can deliver a really great moral or message in your movie without directly talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. They're talking about, uh, like, getting swallowed by a whale. Right. But we, the audience, pick up that it's not. Uh, subliminally so right love that moment in finding nemo but those moments are definitely there in the incredibles as well the incredibles have a similar kind of trapped in the whale moment when the family's all trapped on syndrome's island and they all realize that they need to work together and that they need to use their certain specific skills to work together to get out of there 
and they do but like the thing that always kind of like made me wonder why they were even in that situation was um violet gets released from these bonds in that scene by putting a force field over herself and she kind of like floats away and that um removes the bonds from from whatever moorings they're on it seemed like they were trapped there for a long time and she had just thought to use her power and maybe it's because she didn't know what her power was capable of because she's never exercised it or at least not extremely but here's what i'll say about your point um on that the characters both have very like developed characters and that pretty much all serve a point i think like there's just something deeper about the character development in finding nemo than the incredibles like you do have these memorable characters in the incredibles like edna mode who's a fantastic character and everybody loves edna mode and she's just funny and she's like this very uh straight to the point no nonsense designer who uh just wants to do work and do work well but other than her being a semi-comic relief and showing up and especially in the incredibles only in the first part of the movie and for a very short time that's pretty much it while i think like in finding nemo a lot of the characters are are reflective of society in itself everyone is different in the world everyone is and everyone has some sort of um personality quirk or something that they're battling or or really just anything and the movie is, goes beyond just letting go it's if you get out into the world, you can meet some pretty incredible people. And it's this, this encouragement of meet, meet new people, meet different people from yourself. And I think that's a super important message. And it also allows people to see like, it's okay to be this way. It's okay to be different. It's okay to have these personality quirks. Um, so I don't know. I just, I think that Finding Nemo just deals with multiple issues in a really fantastic way and um while the incredibles also has these kind of two storylines of like each individual character battling their internal wanting to be great and trying to fit in the world as well as the family literal struggle of being trapped on an island and having to get out and then saving the world i just think finding nemo does it a little bit better yeah i i I agree with that but i think a lot of that can be attributed to the structure of the movie. I think I name dropped the Odyssey in the first part of this episode when talking about Finding Nemo and that Finding Nemo is a hero's quest. So it's about a main character, Marlin, on a voyage, a physical voyage to go to something. So a few other movies that do that, Dumb and Dumber is a road film, so it's very similar in that it's two characters just on the road and a, to go to another thing. Um, and so that format really lends itself to what you're talking about, where you can kind of go from scene to scene and see different types of people and then leave them behind because they're gone, you know? So... That's just the type of movie that Finding Nemo is, and that's not a bad thing or anything. Um, but I'm trying to think if Pixar's done that with any other movies. Um, I don't. I don't think it has. Like maybe The Good Dinosaur. It's it's a format that can be tricky, um, and I think I mentioned that they did a really good job with it by 
including those scenes with Nemo in there to, to not make it feel as, you know, omnidirectional, a little bit more layered. Um, I do want to give credit to The Incredibles for being a great action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the editing and the quote-unquote camera work in The Incredibles and The Incredibles 2 are, are, is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do with computer animation. You know, yeah, and and there's definitely no other Pixar movie like that. I mean, I think maybe Cars two like attempted that, yeah. but yeah, um, it's it's tough to do um, in this in this genre. So I definitely have to give credit to The Incredibles for that. I I do think The Incredibles is a journey of sorts. I don't think the important part is their physical journey. I think it's more of a emotional journey a relationship journey they might not be finding a thing but they're finding each other you know Mm -hmm. um at the be i I mentioned the dinner table scene where everyone's fighting and bickering and like it's all it's all coming loose and that's in direct contrast to the final shot of the movie when they all put their masks on and they're looking at the underminer right um and so I think that's the journey that's supposed to be represented in The Incredibles. Absolutely. Um, I will say this, though. I think you got the winning argument um, when you were talking about the diverse types of people in the sea um, and how Finding Nemo does a good job of portraying all those different types of people and that you know you might be more likely to relate to someone out there. Right. You know? It's a deep blue sea. It's a lot of people out there. Um, so just be yourself. Just don't be too controlling. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that you're not allowed to be in in the world is too controlling. <laughs> yeah, and and you put that against the Incredibles, which on the surface seems like it could be similar. And oh, like just embrace the things that make you different and find your place in society, but. At the end of the day, the family, the Parr family, is very heteronormative. Yeah. And that it's got a father and a mother and a daughter and a son and a baby. And they live in a house in the suburbs and drive a car and all that jazz. Um, And I don't think they ever directly say it, but I think it takes place in like the 50s or something. Yeah. it's styled to make it mm-hmm. seem that way, which mm-hmm. kind of makes it feel a bit more appropriate right. that the Parr family is like that. And I think maybe that was done intentionally um, in order to kind of give Pixar a pass. They did. But they got a pass about... because they threw in a black friend and just were like, hey, in our <laughs> 50s, everything's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, when we're talking about relating to the movie, you know, like I told Callie with the up stuff, um, you know, with what I bring to the table, I can appreciate the family dynamics that are occurring in The Incredibles. I can appreciate the mother and father and brother figures in the movie. But, you know, who's to say a person next to me in the theater is feeling the exact same thing? Right. So I, I like Finding Nemo better for that reason and also just the fact that it's an actual fantastical talking fish in the ocean um fantasy story 
makes it more attractive and I think a better Pixar movie, better Disney movie, better represents the brand, better represents the studio. And for that reason, Kyle, here we go. I'm going to also vote that the best Pixar film in the entire Pixar library as of July 2019 <laughs> is Finding Nemo. Oh man. Oh man. We got to cop this one out. We got to cop it out because we have reached it. Finding Nemo has taken the crown as best Pixar movie in this universe as of July of 2019. Callie, your immediate thoughts. Yeah, I'm with you on all of that. I also am uh, shocked at how much more civil this discussion was compared to our last one. <laughs> I think Chris we has enjoyed it a lot more, so way. that's that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this one, it was good. Um, and I'm with you. I think Finding Nemo is... Um, it was a tough matchup, but I think I had to just go off of watchability factor and which one I would rewatch over and over and over again, and that's going to be Finding Nemo every day, so... Still love The Incredibles, but... This talk made me want to go put on Finding Nemo again. <laughs> For sure. All right. We have done it. Another two-parter in the books. If you have any suggestions for the next episodes, go ahead and email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Any feedback, any comments, any questions, they can all go there as well as your show suggestions. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, mousemadnesspod. Uh, we're we're active over there. We love the tweets that we've been getting and the and the hot takes from you. Also, keep them coming. Callie, thank you so much for joining us on these on this uh, on this journey here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thanks again, and uh, we'll catch you all next time on the Mouse Madness Podcast. <laughs> Oh, boobie, boobie,